we've got a large issue in terms of students being depressed, over-anxious, and uncertain about their lives and their livelihood. And that stress manifests itself in that they start doubting their abilities because they're not fully bought into the decisions that have been made for them. When I counsel these students, they truly don't know what they're studying and why they're studying it. By second year, they are, in my office, confused. Their marks in first year are historically not what they're used to obtaining from the school environments, and they're starting to doubt the choices they have made. That's when the advice starts happening. And my role for the last four years was to guide and counsel these students into making better decisions that were more appropriate to where they wanted to be in five years' time. That's Andrew Jones, former Assistant Vice Dean of Undergraduate Affairs in the Faculty of Commerce, Law and Management at the University of the Witwatersrand. He is not alone in voicing concern about matriculants arriving at university, either inadequately prepared or enrolled in entirely the wrong courses. Today we're going to talk about subject choices, that big decision pupils get to make at the end of grade 9 about what they'll be studying for their final three years at school. We'll explore some of the things you may not know about the process, like changing subjects, and what the implications are of poor decisions. We'll also share some advice from a couple of very knowledgeable guests I have with me today. That's all coming up right after this. Educating all of our children must be one of our urgent priorities. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. At the start of the show, we heard Andrew Jones sharing his experience of some of the challenges faced by universities with their first-year students. With me in the studio today to discuss this, I have the leaders of two very different schools who send pupils off to university each year. John Skelton, who is principal of Bryanston High School, which is a large government school renowned for excellent results and pass rates, and for being the top GDE school in the Johannesburg northern suburbs since 2010. Welcome, John. Hi there, Gavin, and thanks for this opportunity. And I understand Bryanston High recently received another prestigious award. Yes, that was actually quite a nice surprise. Uh, we were voted the best government school in the Best of Josie Awards. And uh, for us, the, the important part is it shows us that uh, our parents are convinced that we're a good school and they went out of their way to, to vote for us as a good school. It's an honor and a privilege to be part of the Best of Josie. Also with us today is Gershom Aitchison, Headmaster of Education Incorporated, a boutique school in Four Ways, which is also in Johannesburg's northern suburbs. Welcome, Gershom. Thanks very much for having me here today. John, before we delve into subject choices, please tell us a little bit more about your school and how you keep getting such great results year after year. Gavin, we are a government school, an ex-model C school. We have about 940 learners next year. I think we decided to do things a little bit differently uh, two or three years ago. We incorporated two new programs into the school. The first one is called the Academic Council Group, where we try and counsel learners that are sitting in the bottom 10%. And we don't only counsel them, we also counsel their parents. And it's a three-way process between the learner, the parents, and the educators, and we found great success in it. Unfortunately, one of the things we did pick up is that our Bs and our Cs tended to be more than our As, 
and we started what we call the Achievers Club. And we've got certain programs, uh, study sessions, study guide methods, etc., to try and help and, and see how we can turn all our C's into B's and our B's into A's. And it seems to have been working over the last couple of years. Gershom, I imagine your strategy is slightly different. Please tell us a little bit more about EduInc and what exactly a boutique school is. Boutique by its very nature means that it's small, it's tailored. Our strategy is to invest in the students on a more individual basis. Our teacher-student ratio is a lot smaller than John's, and it means that the teachers are able to get into the student's space, into their mind, and assist them on a more individual basis in the classroom and outside of the classroom. At the start of the show, we heard Andrew Jones say that students were stressed and confused and doubting themselves, and that they were not sure why they were even studying the subjects they're enrolled in. Their marks aren't what they're used to. He also indicated that lots of advice was being given. How much of this is predictable? And how much of this is as a result of children choosing the incorrect subjects or subject combinations at the end of grade nine? I think it's one of the big frustrations we have at, at Bryanston, certainly, is that although we try and give advice, we've got parents' evenings, we've got grade nine subject choice evenings, there is a resistance with parents to choose the subjects that their kids are skilled for. And often they would force their kids to take subjects that they as parents believe they should have or they as parents had at school. I also think the media and social media plays a role where kids see things on television and in, in shows and they think, I want to become that, I want to be cool. But then they are not skilled or talented in that field. So our biggest frustration in grade 9 is making that right subject choices. We find that a lot of kids are reaching and doing things that is out of their scope of talent and skills. And therefore they struggle in grade 10 and often have to do subject changes in grade 11, which is really unfortunate. I agree with John. I think it starts with the parents. The parents are probably the biggest influences on the, on the grade nine subject choices, as well as social media and peers. I think that the parents today don't understand the world that their kids are going to be working in. And subject choice is not about what is prestigious. It's not about what daddy and mommy did and living your educational experience through your kids. I think that the parents need to realize that motivation in terms of the kids' marks how they're going to achieve at school and in varsity. And it's not only in varsity that kids are getting marks that they shouldn't be getting. If they've chosen the wrong subjects, they're not motivated to do it. And it's not just chosen the wrong subjects if they haven't chosen them for themselves. I think parents need to have a serious conversation about what John was referring to as their skills, their curiosity as well. Motivation is a big, big part of the achievement at the end of the day. And yes, you'll get some kids who will do subjects because mom and dad say that it's cool to do that and that's the degree we're going into because that's going to make us the money. But at the end of the day, that's a very few kids that have got that grit. A lot of kids need that grit coming from, I've chosen this, I've bought into it, and I'm going to be the one that's going to be seeing it through it. Perhaps the most controversial of these choices is the core math versus math literacy debate. When I recently spoke to Andrew Jones, who you heard at the start of the show, he has some strong opinions on this topic. My name is Andrew Jones. For the last 20 years, I've been involved with the University of the Witwatersrand, my latest position being Assistant Dean Undergrad Affairs in the Faculty of Commerce, Law and Management. My primary focus was first-year students and the decisions they made and what academic ability they brought to the university based on their matric and the school that they went to. From January 2017, I also purchased a Kip McGrath Education Centre in the East Rand. This centre is focused on assisting students from grade R all the way up to matric in remediated support in the core subjects. I've got students who come to me with maths literacy with a 97, 98, 99% for matric, and we deny them access. Parents, teachers, guidance counselors, and principals need to understand 
that in many respects, a competent 50% in core maths is seen much more highly than 100% for maths literacy in terms of university entrance. The biggest advice I would give is don't be afraid to support and guide a student in core maths and supporting them even though their marks are poor. With remediation and guidance and support, that student, once confidence is built, could obtain 60-70% for core maths, which would open up so many more doors. Support, confidence, these are important words Andrew's using. Is it realistic for 15-year-olds? And who's really making these decisions? I think there's a couple of misconceptions about math literacy and core maths as well. The first one, in my opinion, is that universities want core maths on your matric certificate because it's all about the maths. It's almost an adage that you go to varsity and the first thing your lecturer says when you walk into the subject in first year is, forget everything you learned at school because now I'm going to start teaching you real maths. Maths for university is not about the math skills. Yes, sure, there's some basic skills that you need to have, but it's more about being able to problem solve, to think in the abstract fashion. That's what's important. And the second thing, in my opinion, is that math literacy and core maths are two very different subjects. Math lit is not the low grade or the standard grade maths of, of the yesteryear. It is an entirely different subject, and it has an entirely different application. Kids have to work hard to get you 80%. But it doesn't prepare them for the abstract thinking that they need and what some of the faculties at universities are expecting, especially in the science and the commerce department. John, you've got uh, fairly strong views on the maths lit core maths debate. You know, I totally agree with Andrew that core maths certainly is one of the most important subjects. However, we at Bryanston will not turn a kid getting more than 60 away from core maths. It is when a kid starts getting 40 and 35 and 30 at core maths level that we think it is in the kid's best interest. And there again comes these words, support and self-confidence. A kid getting 30% for maths cannot sit in a class and be confident about himself. And I believe, although I agree with Andrew in that, I also disagree in the fact that we try as hard as we can in a class of 30 learners to deal with kids who are struggling with maths. But it's not always possible to give a big group and a big class like that all the support they can get. And the one thing I do want to say, and we in Bryanson believe in that, is if you are not willing to do the grind in maths, you will not pass maths. We're finding a child who's really struggling in core maths. We're advising that if they're getting 20, 30, 40, that we switch from maths to maths literacy. Is university off the table for them? No, Gavin, not at all. In actual fact, I did a study a while back where we looked at how universities are also changing. And a lot more of the universities are offering subject combinations and courses that incorporate maths lit. If you look at UJ, I think the last count, there was something like 148 different courses. And I'm talking from management to finance to people to human relations where you can actually do a degree. So I believe the universities are also changing their attitude towards core maths. What are some of the common reasons for poor subject combinations? I think one of the big misconceptions, again, coming back to parents, is where parents are advising kids to take certain subjects according to what they did or what they believe is best. One of the other ones is, and, and I'm sorry to say, but we've got a modern child that is often not a hardworking child and will often do subject combinations that is easy, that is something that they can get away with the least amount of work. And mom and dad are so busy at work, they, they're not really all that involved in their lives anymore. So, that is a common social problem I feel at the moment is where kids who are not willing to do the grind, where they choose subjects to just hang around there with and be at school and get them a trick. Yeah, they're also choosing subjects to be with their friends. They're choosing subjects based on the teacher that's teaching it. And 
the the legacy of it's such hard work and there's a lot of homework. They're not choosing it for what they feel is going to be their future and what's going to add to what they want to do further on in life. You know, there's a, a movement at the moment in education where it's less about the major and more about your mission. And I think if we help these kids understand what their mission is in life and attach the subjects to that, it'll help with the motivation and the curiosities. I think it's a, a fantastic idea. The parents aren't there, as John says, to do, to do the, the motivation and the pushing. This has to come from within. And I think if you have a mission in life, and you don't even have to have a very clear idea of what that mission is in grade nine, but if you've got an idea of what it is, you're less likely to be influenced by your peers and about the hard work and the teacher that's doing it, and more influenced about where am I going and what am I passionate about. So a good teacher or a bad teacher, uh, a strong influence in grade nine on whether you take a subject or drop it. Absolutely. I believe that unfortunately, you know, teachers are human and you get different kinds of teachers. And unfortunately, when you take 11 or 12 subjects in grade nine, there might be one or two teachers that, that might not be the perfect teacher for you. And you'll make a decision based on that. And that will be the wrong decision. Undergraduate degrees should become four-year degrees rather than the three-year standard degrees. And that first year should be in effect, a guided bridging year stroke growing up year to ensure that students at 19 can start making appropriate decisions around what it is they want to do. If you're taking English first additional language, you need to read more, you need to build that vocabulary because your mark in matric is not a good indicator of your English ability from a university perspective. The importance of English comprehension seems fairly obvious, but adding a fourth year at university level, does this point to something schools are not getting right, or are too many metrics expecting a university degree? I don't think schools like Bryanston or Gershon School is getting it wrong. I think our English marks are certainly very good, and our kids are coping at university. What I'm finding is that when I'm taking kids from rural areas in grade 10 or 11, a lot of them are sitting with English second additional language, and they will not even cope at my school, never mind university. I think a fourth year for just the sake of having a fourth year, and it sounds like what Andrew's saying is that they need to find themselves. I think there are a lot more effective ways in university to find yourself. You know, in the community service is a great way of doing that, giving service to your community getting in contact with the real world. I think that one of the challenges that we face is having conversations with matrix about what the real world is all about, and it's this big fantasy world. The reality of it is where they get into varsity in first year and suddenly realize what the world's all about. The subject choices were wrong for them. If there's going to be a fourth year, it should be a case of expanding on the idea of a gap year where you're doing life design courses and things like that, where you are understanding what your mission is, understanding what's actually available at universities. Perhaps not going to varsity academically in the first year, but going in the first year to explore the options and sit in different lectures and not have the pressure necessarily of exams, but be exposed to what is actually out there and what is real. And if it means traveling a little bit overseas, if it means traveling in the country, if it means doing service, I think following on Andrew's idea, to get into varsity, you have to demonstrate that you've traveled, you've done something for your community, you've been exposed to reality, because that alone is going to put you in a much better frame of mind to be successful in the first year. I totally agree with that. I, I do think the idea of community service is quite complex, but I do believe it serves a huge purpose and will assist universities and the young people outside there to make the right decisions and go to the right university and take the right courses. Let's get to know our guests a little better in our Fast Fire Round. Who was your favorite teacher? Mrs. Cunha. She just appealed to me the way that she came across and spoke to people and 
I'll never forget, she was one of the first teachers always on a, on a Saturday morning to wish us good luck on the rugby field. Mr. Stewart, I remember the first time he was introducing algebra to us and involved him jumping on the desks and being a little bit mad about it. I think he brought it to life. He was the first teacher who took it out of the Dickensian style of teaching behind the desks and wasn't afraid to use the whole school. And more importantly, the enthusiasm. And he was very, very passionate about what he does. I've met him recently and he's still as passionate as he was when I was at school. If you could give one book to every learner to read, what would it be? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. All Blacks, The Magic Story. Did you ever experience corporal punishment? Yes. Absolutely. It was actually quite an honor in some ways for boys to get jacked in those days. What is your favorite musician, band, genre, or era? Classical kind of guy, Josh Groban. Absolutely. Maybe you're still here. I feel you all around me. My favorite musician is a guy called Sal Solo. He used to be in a group called Classics Nouveau, who was a near romantic band. He turned gospel after then and is living in Poland now. I make a lot of notes. It helps me get perspective. So it's always the diary and the pens. My tablet. What do you have for lunch? Nothing. Lunch is typically a sandwich on the run. What was the biggest transformation you've ever seen in a learner from when they joined your school until they left? We said goodbye to a couple of metrics this year who we've had for five years. And the biggest transformation, the, the reason why we teach is watching this child, one of them particularly, going from a 50% student who just wants to get through school to being enthusiastic about getting accepted into varsity and doing what they want to do there. The transformation from, I don't think I can do anything to the world is my oyster. We had a learner grade 8 and 9 who were pretty much the naughtiest guy I've ever met. But not in a bad way. He was just naughty. Couldn't sit still, couldn't do this. Grade 11, he started playing first team rugby. And uh, he'll probably be one of the best leaders we have next year. He's changed so much. What do you spend absurd amounts of money on? Technology. I have lots of favorite gadgets. I love watches. Going the easy route to reduce stress and anxiety at all fronts is not always the right decision. We need to encourage our students to make decisions that will maintain as many opportunities for our students as possible. At 15, you can't expect a learner to know what they're wanting to do in life because they've still got a lot of learning and growing to accomplish over the next few years. No one really learns from an easy path. You don't learn about yourself and you don't learn how to apply yourself and get through stress. And I don't think we're doing the world, the workplace, any favors by reducing stress and anxiety. We don't have the opportunity to teach it to kids then if they're not exposed to that. Yeah, I think we've got to realize that our kids are growing up, you know, the word softer is probably the wrong word, but they're growing up a lot softer and a lot more insulated uh, especially in, in, in our area, I think. So hard choices are very difficult. I think that's one of the things that we aim at our school 
is to make life in grade 9 as information overload as possible. Where they do a lot of parents' evenings, they do a lot of subject choice discussions. So by the time the subject choice rolls around, it's not just one evening, fill in a little form and, and off you go. It is something they need to think about. It's something the parents need to think about. But also I think, like, like Gershon said, it is, it is something that the modern kid today does not have that internal drive to achieve some of these things. I don't think I could be a teenager these days. I, I wouldn't want to go back to school and work with the pressures that they have to do, especially with social media and things like that. There's a whole aspect of that that we don't necessarily get. But I don't believe we're preparing our kids properly for the workplace and the real world in terms of grit and being able to have the fortitude to do what needs to get done sometimes. Of the approximately 1.2 million children who started school in 2005, only around 600,000 actually sat the matric exam 12 years later. And of those, only about a third or 440,000 passed. And of those 440,000, 150,000 achieved a bachelor's pass. However, based on what I'm hearing Andrew say, a university entrance isn't necessarily enough. Because we don't have clear enough alternative options for students, we're putting them under a lot more pressure. We need to rethink the alternative routes for students who need a trade rather than a university career. It's quite a complex conversation to be having about the alternatives. I think that students these days have been taught that to be successful in life you need a university education. And anybody who's paid the plumber or the electrician recently will know that that's not necessarily the case. Having realistic expectations and conversations with students about alternatives, entrepreneurship, for example, and trades, those are very, very important. My son, when he matriculated, was certainly not university material. And uh, we enrolled him in a college where he did a trade. It was in the, in the art field. All I can say today is uh, when the end of the month comes, normally I'm hanging around his house for food. There is a dire need for artisans and skilled people in the workplace today. Let me play you a real-life story Andrew shared with me. A student who went into becoming a chartered accountant for all the wrong reasons. His father was a chartered accountant. His grandfather was a chartered accountant. His mother wanted him to be a chartered accountant. And his marks and everything supported that route. He joined Witz University and he failed first year. His parents didn't understand this. He didn't understand this. And he was very uncertain about his future. I then started interacting with him and I realized that he had a love for the law. And he actually didn't want to be an accountant. He wanted to be an attorney, a lawyer. We started the process and the most amazing meeting was me forcing him to engage with his parents and convince them that it's his future, it's his life. And after that emotional 10 minutes, his parents allowed us to change. And we made that move. I supported it. He thrived. And as we speak right now, he's a qualified lawyer doing exceptionally well in one of the top law firms in South Africa. So what's the takeaway from a story like that? What do we do differently in grade 8, grade 9, grade 10, grade 11 to prevent that happening in second or third year university? Or if not to prevent it, at least bring it sooner or to minimize the impact of it? I think schools need to engage with parents and educate parents about the importance of making the right subject choices according to advice. 
And I think parents must not be scared to take advice from educators, principals, even universities or practitioners. I think sometimes we make an ill-informed choice without thinking further than next year. And I do believe the more advice parents can gain, the more people they can consult with, and the learner, of course, the better for their own future. I've used the term in parent meetings about degree snobs. And it's about being able to say, oh, my daughter or my son is studying to be a CA or to be a lawyer or an attorney. I think that part of our role and the conversations you should be having in high school with students is about having a voice, an appropriate voice, and being able to approach their parents with genuine feelings and genuine opinions about where they're going and how they should be doing it. It's very, very difficult, but it is part of a rite of passage that should be happening at school. I'm not saying that we tell parents how to be parents, but it is our role as one of the primary socializers for children to give them a voice that they can sit down and even facilitate it as Andrew did, where they're having that conversation. It doesn't have to be in second year varsity and that the parents are starting to listen to them as young adults. Parents need to be listening to what the kids are saying. Otherwise, they're setting themselves up for failure. We had a young lady in grade 11 last year and she miserably failed science scraped maths and we suggested that she change subject she was one of the progressed learners in other words she was put through into matric the father insisted that she will become a doctor one day and she needs to keep those subjects and in july we had to deregister her because she had a nervous breakdown and i think in cases like that parents do not understand what they are doing to their children in instances where an incorrect subject choice has been made and it becomes evident that this is not working what are the options how do we change subjects beyond that big decision in grade nine Students in June or July of grade 10 can change two of their subjects. In April of grade 11, they can change two of their subjects. And in December of grade 11 for grade 12, they can change one. But it's very important to note that the department will only really consider the changes in those subjects for grade 12 with dire circumstances. In other words, you're doing EGD and you've been in a car accident and you lose the use of your arm. You can't draw, so we need to change the subjects. What we're looking at is in the April of grade 11, we don't want to change subjects anymore. And the reason for that is that the portfolio of evidence you need for the FET phase, which starts in grade 10, is what you carry through all the way through to matric. If a child changes subjects in the June-July of grade 10 or the April of grade 11, they've got six months to a year's worth of work that they have to catch up because the foundation and the basis of the matric exams starts at the beginning of grade 10. John, do you have a big queue outside your door uh, on those dates? Gavin, what we normally find is uh, beginning of the year, there's already a rush and a flurry in grade 11 of people wanting to change. But unfortunately, the departmental rules are quite strict on that. We try and say to them in grade 10, if you want to make changes, this is the year to do it, not to do it in 11. What I'd like to wrap up with is some actionable advice from both of you. Advice for parents who have children in grade 9 right now wrestling with these decisions. One of the important things I want to stress here that most schools make use of a form tutor or a grade controller. Now, these are senior teachers that's been with this grade for the last two years, basically, and would know a lot more about the kids' capabilities than the average teacher. And I want to appeal to parents to make an appointment, go see the grade controllers, discuss it with them, hear the views of what they feel the child is capable or not capable of, and take the advice and do it earlier than the year than later in the year. So you've got lots of time to discuss this with the child. I agree with John. There needs to be a lot of conversation with the teachers and the people who know the kids. I think there needs to be a lot of frank conversations, not just once off, but a lot of frank conversations with the students as well, and not just about the subject choices. And I think we need to demystify what outside of school looks like and what university looks like. I encourage kids to go online to Udemy and start taking some of those online courses. Find out what their interests are. I think that that subjects like this, so go online, 
see what it's about, try it out. We had a grade nine student this year who was over school, getting 80s, 90s for all her subjects. Why am I doing this? School's so easy. Why am I actually doing this? And starting to get demotivated and disinterested. And a couple of our teachers actually took her through to a couple of lectures that they were attending at Varsity. And it got her so excited about what is actually coming and what the reality of it's all about that she could see that I need to get through school to have this. This is what I want, but I've got three years of working hard to get this. And I think it gave her a lot of perspective. We have the opportunity to do that. We can do it online. Universities, you can take your students in one at a time and sit in the lectures. Let them see what that is all about. They might know immediately, this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. I'd rather spend it with the electrician and learn to use my hands and make money that way. Expose them to what's real so that they can make real decisions. Choosing the wrong subjects is not going to break their lives. But I think there are a couple of core things that are very important. Learn your home language properly. Learn to express yourself and express your thoughts properly. If you're required to think at an abstract level like you are required to in maths and physics, then learn to do that well. A lot of those kind of things are going to be taken over by computers. And if you listen to Warren Buffett, he will tell you that philosophy and creativity is going to be more important in the future than crunching the numbers, crunching the maths. It is the creativity that is going to take humanity forward. John? I think parents and learners need to realize that decision they make in grade 9 is, is a life-changing decision. It's something they've got to live with for the rest of their lives. And therefore, I think this quick decision-making on the night of the subject choice evening is not ideal. It should be a year-long process of consultation, making sure that that final decision you make is the right decision. As with most things related to education, there is no one simple solution to this topic of subject choices. Instead, what we find are several key times at which we should be paying attention to what is happening and make appropriate decisions at each of these opportunities. Failing to do so seems to merely defer and compound the overall effect of the challenge and add to the stress and confusion later on. During grade eight and nine, children and their families should already have a long-term eye on the faculty that suits and excites the child and pay attention to their performance in and enjoyment of the subjects that lead in that direction. At the end of grade nine, communicate a lot with your children, with their teachers, with grade controllers, with counselors, headmasters, principals. Go to parents' evenings, get feedback on how they're performing, on their likes, their dislikes, their strengths, and their weaknesses. Listen to what your children are saying about what they want to do with their lives. This generation is far more focused on passion and purpose than lifelong careers. Help them with these choices while understanding that there are still some opportunities to make changes if you plan correctly. Remember, you are the adult in the room. Don't allow poor decision-making for the wrong reasons, like peers and favorite teachers, and don't encourage or allow the gentle slide down the easiest path. During the first term of grade 10, check in. How is your child doing with the chosen subjects? This is a good time to contemplate making the first changes. At the end of grade 10, reassess How's this working out? If you're off track with too many subjects, will you be able to course correct before matric starts? Don't get caught in the optimism trap that forces your child to repeat grade 11 because they didn't achieve adequately in multiple linked subjects. Encourage your child to think and communicate about what they want. While at 15 they may be too young to fully comprehend the implications of their choices, you are the first custodians of their future. And you're only custodians, it's not your life. You've had your turn to choose subjects. This is not the time nor the place to be vicarious. This is their life, their future, 
and within a few years you'll be handing the reins over to them entirely. So perhaps start loosening the grip now and allowing them guided opportunities to learn and make mistakes. Kids should enjoy school. They should be able to make mistakes. Thank you to my guests Andrew Jones, John Skelton and Gershon Aitchison for sharing their knowledge, experience and advice with us. Thanks also to Willem Nell from Acoustic Alien Audio for sound styling and original music and to Offensive Klaba from Solid Gold Studios as well as Melanie Walker. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen to us. I trust today's show will help you make decisions that give your child more choices in life. For more information and links about this episode, visit the show notes at solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash eduthink. Until next episode, I'm Gavin Kennedy. Keep learning. Keep learning.